From MZ Studios in Dallas, Texas, you're listening to the Tennis Revolution Podcast. Welcome back to the Tennis Revolution podcast. We have been on uh, a winter break. We stepped away uh, during the holiday break and uh, in the doldrums of no tennis winter. So uh, as the uh, sun comes up in Australia to warm all of our hearts, uh, we are back on the air to talk a little bit of that and get back into the swing of things. No pun intended. Or was it? Uh, before we get started, though, I want to introduce uh, a guest host we have today, and, uh, and I'll let him say a little little something uh, about himself. Uh, Corey, welcome to the Tennis Revolution podcast. Uh, thanks for having me. Now, you're a big fan of the podcast, right? It's my favorite podcast, the best one I've ever heard. On tennis, ever? Ever, period. Any podcast? <laughs> of any podcast. Now, is this the only podcast you've ever heard? Uh, that's irrelevant. All right. Uh, that's fair enough. Um. So tell us a little bit about now. You're from uh, from the Dallas area. I am. I've been here for a long time. I'm a tennis instructor at Cooper Aerobics Center. There we go. Been there for a while. Taught at uh, Public Tennis Center for a long time, and now in the country club world. So it's a little different, but I'm enjoying it. Well, you better be careful saying uh, saying the name of your place on the air because as many listeners as we have, I think uh, my producer can bang up the numbers here. Uh, hopefully, we're above 400 by now. Um, worldwide, maybe uh, they're going to be beating down your door for lessons now that they heard you on the world famous Tennis Revolution podcast. So, uh, like I was saying before, we took a break because, first of all, we needed one—the holidays and everything else, travel. But also, there's no tennis. I mean, tennis dies. You know, got a bunch of indoor tournaments all over places you never heard of before the Australian Open uh, se- season starts. So. Uh, you kind of get away from tennis and you just kind of itch and waiting for that uh, Adelaide and all those tournaments to pop up. So here we are uh, in the middle of the Australian Open. So as uh, mo- many listeners know, we have, uh, we have we record on Sundays usually and then the, uh, the Tuesday is when it uh, is put together and put out, so every other Tuesday. So right now we're recording on the middle Sunday uh, of the Australian Open. So I'm an honest podcaster because I could have acted like we recorded this a week ago, and I could have said, "Man, I think uh, live. I think Murray's going to get upset." That's my prediction. Probably <laughs> not make it past the round of 16, uh, and then I look like a genius. But no, I'm honest. We've already seen what's happened. But uh, but the Australia. Have you been watching the Australian Open? Uh, yes, absolutely. My favorite tournament because uh, kind of a night person, and in America, it's on in the evenings and overnight, so that's great for me. That's the reason I hate the Australian Open. <laughs> that, yes, most I, people do. I love it. I love the Australian Open, but I can't, I, you know, I have to fight that battle every night right around 1130 or 12. Am I going to try to push through and stay up or miss all those matches, go to bed at eight o'clock like my great grandpa? <laughs> and uh, then like set I, your alarm for the and morning. Then, yeah, and then get up at four and watch the tail end or just get up at 530 like normal and hope hope there's a nine setter going on that lasted that long. <laughs> Um, so it's kind of a, a piecemeal approach right. watching the Australian. So, um, so you go the opposite route. You just dig in and I stay up as late as I can. And yeah, if it's a five setter like we've had recently, it's a little tough. Yeah. So you try to stay up then, as opposed to get up early. Yeah, getting up early is not going to happen. For yeah. 
for, for tennis, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, you take Wimbledon, I mean, they're six hours ahead, so right. not a big deal. Or, or Paris, it's seven ahead. Um, but it's it's like next week. I think it's I think it's I think it's flag day by now, <laughs> mid June in Australia. So um so we've got to kind of piece it together and, and find it. But it's but I they call it the happy slam because you're in like you know, a happy go lucky place, surfing and all that kind of stuff. I mean, besides all the spiders that'll kill you just looking at you. Um it, it is a happy slam. I think it's a good environment and it's happy I, from my standpoint because we're here in the United States freezing to death, and it's, you know, summertime down there. Yeah, it's so weird to watch when they're talking about how hot it is. and Our country's in, buried in snow, and it's 95 in Australia. Actually, it's been fairly mild, though, hasn't it? Yeah, the 70 degrees, the high from 99 to 70 in one day, and I couldn't really figure that out. Uh, we don't have any 70-degree days here in summer. Um, but I've been interested with how that has affected the results because uh, – Usually it's a grind in all those matches to try to survive four or five sets. Yeah. And, and they haven't had to deal with that this year. Yeah, which I think, I mean, I, I think about this every Grand Slam, and I don't know how people feel about it, but listen, I'm going to say it. I'm a rebel. This is the Tennis Revolution podcast, for Pete's sakes. I wouldn't mind a bit if the men drop down to best two out of three for the Grand Slams. I love the three out of five, All right, well, I, but I wouldn't mind if they did for maybe the first week. You say it's two out of three, and then in the later rounds, it's three out of five when the top players are playing each other. I, I just would, think that's what makes it different than all the other tournaments. You know, what are you going to say that makes it different outside of just more points and more money if more, they're playing the same? Bigger draws? Yeah, uh, I guess that's true. I just think it's like a battle of attrition, and conditioning really comes into play when you play three out of five. Right, but should it be? Because I think three out of five, particularly in a place like Australia where it's a thousand degrees and you're getting chased by black mamba snakes all over the place, <laughs> you, you know, you run from your hotel to the car, you can get killed at any time. So with those conditions, do we want, you know, three out of five in 120 degrees, putting ice towels on their necks to survive? Well, and I guess the debate too is does that really prove who the best player is or just who's in the best shape? Yep, right. And so they, that's the argument for it. I just think it makes it a little different. You know, then you get in the debate of whether they should play a tiebreak in the fifth set or that kind of thing. And then you're going even longer. Um, well, I yeah. I mean, obviously TV and all those considerations matter for other reasons. But from my point of view, you know, that's the reasoning behind my three out of five versus two out of three is not for that because I make no money from any of that. Right. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think I think the idea of three out of five – you know, allowing somebody who's not as talented to reach a level. Now, I don't know if that I don't even know. I can't even think of any examples where that's actually happened, to be honest with you. Um, I mean, Murray is a good three out of five sets type player. You know, he's a grinder. He breaks other people down physically before he does, plays long points. And Novak, obviously, same way. Is now, wasn't, but right. is now, once he made those dietary changes and, you know, went on Nutrisystem or whatever he did. <laughs> Um, gluten free, uh, he he became the same thing. But you know, in, in somebody like Federer, who is both you know physically he's he's in excellent shape and also excellent player. But his game style lends itself to you know he glides around the court and doesn't expend a lot of energy. But uh, I mean, Nadal's I guess Nadal would be the closest example of maybe somebody who um, 
Yeah. What would be interesting is if you go through the draw and look at all the matches where somebody was down two sets to one and came back to win, how that would impact the draw if they uh, those people advanced. And, I mean, maybe there's a different strategy involved. You know you're playing three out of five, that kind of thing. But, yeah. but still, it would be interesting. I know about 10, 12 years ago, Robbie Ginepri won three or four or five setters in a row to get to the U.S. Open semifinals, the only Grand Slam semifinal ever made. Right. And had they played two out of three, that probably doesn't happen. I don't know. Right. And, and you know, he was coming probably uh, months, weeks and months before that where he's grinding on a challenger circuit, you know, in and out of the of the, the, the main tour kind of right. playing. So who knows what sort of schedule that lends it to because he's playing a lot deeper into those tournaments than he is like, you know, Miami or whatever. But I think the idea – I like I – like, uh, something you said earlier in talking about the maybe half a week in the first half of, right. you know kind of getting through the the bulk of the tournament the first half of the tournament and then going into the second half where now it starts going into um the three out of five that that could be i, I don't know if they go for that but like i said i i think it is that that idea that i don't know that it determines who the best player is i just think it determines on those guys like somebody like uh isner Right, you know, our our next American hope. Not anymore. Yeah. There's a bunch of guys actually. I hope not. Right, but yeah, right. So, but but he's got you know some some quick point weapons. You know, big serve. He's six foot fifty, and he can get through his serve games quick. Maybe not expend a lot of energy on his return games because why would he? Because he's slow as dirt. Right, he's not going to break anyway. Right, and he if he plays a long two sets. The third set, he's done. So if he, you know, in a regular tournament, right. you know, I've rarely seen him just power through and look as good as he did. Even if he wins, he still he's just loping around right. the court. And right. so somebody like that, I mean, I I see him having a zero chance, or anybody like him having zero chance of ever winning a Grand Slam because he's too damn big. Yeah. I mean, I guess if it makes the results, if there's more opportunity for other players to advance, I guess the question is, is that a positive or a negative? You know, if you're there's only certain players that can make it through a long five-set match. You're putting your potential winners at list of maybe eight or ten players. Well, right, but well, but if you compare it to the '90s, so you had like Pete Sampras, my hero, incidentally, greatest player in the history of ever. And if you disagree, you're wrong. <laughs> we can agree on that, actually. Oh, nice. That's yeah. why I got this guy on, <laughs> so he can echo every thought and sentiment. <laughs> um, so you had a time where Sampras was dominating. He was finishing the year number one in the world every year for right. six years in a row, as a matter of fact. But that doesn't mean he won every tournament. Right. And he didn't have any – there wasn't a single year that matched the year that Novak had a couple of years ago where he was just almost untouchable. And in the 70s, Connors had a, had a year like that where he right. was untouchable. Well, and, never, never to Lova, but that's a different – No, no, right. No, but she was well, the, one loss in an entire calendar year. Right. And to be fair for, you know uh, – I think Connors would have had a real good chance to win the Grand Slam if all that nonsense with World Team Tennis wouldn't have screwed him. But that's a whole that's a whole another story. But but you know, so you look back at those eras, and you had people who were dominant but weren't dominating everything. Right. And so now you have guys dominating everything. First, you know, Federer had his turn, and then Nadal was kind of you know Nadal was the fly in his ointment, right. of course. But Nadal had a nice run where he was winning even Wimbledon, which, you know, he shouldn't, yeah, you know, every, as it were. Every French Open. Right. And then, you know, Novak had his turn, and now it's Andy's turn. 
except for <laughs> right now. It has been Andy's turn. So it's kind of, you know, so when you say maybe three out of five would allow more people to win, I look fondly back on the 90s when Edberg and yeah. Becker and Lendl, you know, there's so many Grand Slam champions, you know, over the, the that period. It wasn't just Pete. It wasn't just right. one player. Uh, even though he finished and he had the most consistency throughout the year, he wasn't winning everything. Yeah, it makes the tournament more unpredictable too, which right now they're not counting this tournament. There's normally not a really reason to watch in the first week. The results are kind of, you know what's going to happen. You know, somebody's not going to be able to beat somebody three sets. You know what? It's funny you say that because, yes, unpredictability is good. And on that score, you're right. With with these guys over the last couple periods where these guys have just dominated, you know who the top four, the big four, right. the big three, you know they're going to roll through. Um, and even some of these upstarts are good. You know they're going to falter at some point, and you're going to end up with basically ver- – Virtually the same four, uh, you know, probably seventy yeah. percent of the same eight right. that make it to the final eight. Um, but in terms of the unpredictability, that's one thing that I think I think they did it a little bit last year in the U.S. Open, but definitely this year in the Australian Open, I think they've helped a lot to give fans a little bit more to watch, a little to alleviate that predictability and. And I'll tell you what that is when we come back. It's time to join the revolution. Go to our website, tennisrevolutionpodcast.com to get the latest episodes, email us your questions and comments, or give us show ideas. All right, and we're back. Uh, we had to step away, not for uh, any kind of commercials or anything, but to find out uh, the good news. The Tennis Revolution podcast. Wait for it. Wait for it. You got a drum roll? No, you can't. Don't, don't spit on the mic. No. Uh, we are above 500 downloads per episode. That's a threshold. It means nothing. Nobody is still. They must have heard I was going to be here. Oh, nice. Nice. All right, so, so what does the Australian Open do very well now, or I shouldn't say the Australian Open, I should say ESPN. That probably gives you a hint. They have been double and triple screening matches, and I think that gives... Now, to be fair, I don't really care about that because I'm the proud owner of DirecTV. Right. So, now, do you have DirecTV? I do, actually. Of course you do. You don't have it for any other reason than (laughs) what I'm about to say, do you? Well, NFL, but... Oh, who cares? What a dumb sport. That other sport that nobody... Yeah, about. right. So if you do not if you don't have DirecTV, I've said it before, but I'll 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 brag. I mean, I say it again is that DirecTV has a fantastic feature. Uh they have a sports mix channel and depending on the time of year and the event, they do golf, they do other stuff. Um I think NASCAR, yeah. they they have some channels for NASCAR. You can you can have all they they basically give you 701 to like 707 where they've got a mix channel that shows all the channels for that particular sport and so in tennis you've got several different courts you can watch. So if if ESPN2 is broadcasting and it's Serena beating the living hell out of somebody who you've never heard 6050. of. 6050. 6050, and they will not cut away. for they, I think Ever. they stop I, I think they stop commercials 
during that. They just don't want to riveting, riveting. She must have an ESPN contract. Something, something. Well, I mean, listen, she's the best American player we have. I mean, obviously not relative. For the last ten years. Yeah, I mean, obviously Isner could beat her, not fight, but, <laughs> uh, but he's way below popularity-wise and everything. I mean, she's way right. more popular. So to be fair, I understand that, but I think that's, I think that's kind of selling American tennis fans short. I mean. I don't think we have to have an American to enjoy the sport. No, I think that's been kind of their thinking all along. You know, Venus Williams, Andy Roddick, that would be they, they would show every match, every point. And I just think it's uh, then when those players lose, you've lost your following. So if you're relying right. on them to make the finals, especially in the men's, you're in trouble. Well, I, I think the commentators have done a good job this year so far. We still got a week they could blow it in a week. But for the first week, they've done a pretty good job with number one, that that split screening. So if you don't have direct TV and can't can't watch some random, you know, uh, court with two players that I have heard of, I'm in you know I'm in, in the business and so are you. But average fan might not have heard of just because right. they never get the chance to see them. Uh, but there's some some fantastic matchups and there's also that element of finding that next great band at a small club that that blows up to become Pearl Jam or something and you saw them. You know yeah, you, know, you can tell people I saw that person before. Exactly, I saw that court. You know that person on court in '98. Playing against, you know, like Richard Gasquet, right. somebody who's a great player who is going to be on TV, but maybe that particular scheduling, right. they're on a different court and playing some no-name uh, that may be a pretty good player. Uh, like maybe Misha Zverev, right. maybe a no-name player yeah. that uh, will probably have a name now. <laughs> um, if you still haven't watched your recorded Australian Open um, on the DVR and you still haven't you know, there's no there's no uh there's no warning for you i'm sorry yeah, i think we already gave that one away yeah so uh andy murray the one seed uh was upset uh in the fourth round by misha zverev um so if like i said if we blew that for you spoiler alert then you need <laughs> you need to cut some things out in your life and spend more time watching tennis and you need to watch it anyway because it was incredible tennis yeah i mean yeah it's like i said we, we see so many of these guys and women actually on commercials and this, that, and the other, and we forget there's, you know, players outside the top 50 are still amazing. They're still absolutely amazing. I mean, and it's, I like the players outside the haven't seen because it's a different style of play too. You don't know what style of player you're going to get. I mean, he's a net player. There's going to be there's two-handed slice backhands. They're still on the tour. There's, you know, all kinds of crazy things you're not going to see in the top five players because they all play kind of a similar game for the most part. Well, and during that match, you know, kind of giving some more credit to some of the commentators, I really like Darren Cahill, um, Killer Cahill. Uh, I think he's doing a great job, and he was um, talking about that match and, and, and suggesting that Andy might be having – Andy Murray, not like I know the guy, Andy. <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, Andy. Uh, that Murray might have been having trouble dealing with his forehand, and not because it was so huge, but because it was so short and compact. Right. He just sort of had a little quick hitch, take back, and a little slap. It's very strange to watch, actually. Right. But it's effective, right. obviously. He's into the quarters, ahead, you know, including going through the number one seed. So um, so that was another thing where, where they were able to switch back and forth between that match and, you know, Wawrinka was playing and had, had a tight one. Um, and so, uh, you know, if you don't have DirecTV, I thought they did a good job doing that. And thankfully, they didn't just stick us on, you know, stadium court. Right. Saying here, maybe, maybe they do that because it's two in the morning, three in the morning. They don't care. Well, and even with Murray and Zverev, like that's a great match, but I don't know that I want to watch any match four hours straight 
without seeing what else is going on in the tournament. True. Um, and so they do a good job of it. it's five all in a set and the number four players playing. I'd like to see that set. Well, you know, they have to because I don't have to watch it on their dumb TV station right. because I have a thousand devices in my house that I can <laughs> link up to any something and, and watch something somewhere. So um, I think it probably not just for the fan watching the TV, but also for their sake and maintaining those viewers. They, they We have short attention spans these days in 2017. When they And they have three uh, covered courts there, which I like. So there's always three matches going on, no matter if it's raining, you know, what the temperature is, there's always going to be three matches to choose from, which I like. Whereas even with this new U.S. Open stadium, there's going to be one match. And if you don't like that match, right, well, if it you rains. might turn to something else. Right. And I mean, and to be fair, they spent, I think, $180 trillion. <laughs> I think that's where yeah. our national debt came from, is that yeah. tennis center. Which is fantastic. <laughs> they have it, and that's great. But uh, but yeah, it gives you one court. Uh, and you know, hey, it's an outdoor tournament, so you want to turn everything into a stadium and not have wind and all those other things that go along with it. But um, but yeah, I, I, I think it's been a good tournament overall. Um, again, uh, it's been spotty in terms of me watching it. Cause it, again, it is overnight, right. but, uh, but I think it's been, been, been good. Now, have you checked out much doubles? Do you watch much doubles? I would love to watch doubles. I don't know where that can be found. Direct TV, uh, right? Direct TV. Uh, that, that's one thing that they're doing a good job switching around, but they never show doubles. And I think doubles is pretty much, I think everybody's out in the open saying the hell with doubles. Right. I, I think, I think even with the best doubles team of all time we have playing, they're not showing. Well, that's a <laughs> point of contention. I would argue that. A little bit. <laughs> the uh, best I, doubles twins of all time. <laughs> I would argue. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't know any other twins, but the best doubles team on paper, the right. best, the best, the most accomplished. Well, certainly, How about, certainly the best current team anyway. Right, but the bo- uh, well, I don't even think that's the case. Well, well, not now. You're right. No, no, no. Because I'm saying if if Warinka and Federer played right. doubles every day, that's true. The record book, and if they had had been for the last ten years, the double the records would be different. Right. No offense to you know my American compatriots here, but no, you're right. But I think if you know, I mean they they part time didn't want a gold, right? You know, um, so so I, I think that's one thing about doubles that that may be leading to its less and less and less and less popularity as we go. I mean, I, I could see a time where most tournaments, probably not Grand Slams, but like big tournaments don't even have – They just it's just singles tournaments. Yeah, and I think uh, the prize money is already so limited that it'll be interesting. Even fewer players are going to be going for doubles, and eventually just the level of play is going to drop. And Well, I, actually, I think the converse is also part of the pro- – not problem, but part of the, the, the reason is that the prize money in singles is so high. Right. It was back in the day they had to play both to make a living. Now the singles is, you know, I mean, you make it to the third round, you're over, you know, over 130 grand or I something think, like that. I think Misha got 400,000, I heard. Good for him. And probably more than he's made in the last five years. Right, that's his career prize money, right. just more than doubled in one tournament. So you, you, hope, you hope to see that a guy like that doesn't fade now. You know, you get some confidence. Well, he must practice with his brother too, I assume, who's – now top 25 in the world, and it's nice to have your own practice partner in your family that can develop your game. Right. Um, but, yeah, he made a pretty big ascension. I don't think you know this, the details, but he was in a Dallas mixed doubles league a year ago, a recreational league, the same league I'm in, and uh, he so, went from that to Australian number quarterfinals. So what you're saying is you'll be playing and qualifying for the French? That If I don't, it's a letdown. All right, exactly. Uh, so, so a mixed doubles league, he was in a mixed doubles league. Recreational league now, uh, so for zero dollars, I had to pay to play in the league. I think 
that's astounding. And I think there needs to be an investigation on what in the hell the, the doubles league is doing. Something's wrong. Uh, unless there's no rules on, on, you know, professional. And yeah, this league is yet to, they need to be, he needs to be their uh, ambassador for league tennis for the next 10 years. Hey, maybe, maybe this league, this mixed doubles league is, you know, the crucible where right. great players are formed. I mean, you're past your prime. I mean, what are you, 30? I don't, are you even 30 yet? 33. 33. So you're clearly past your prime. So you missed the boat. You must right. not have played in this league as a, as a youngster. No, so. I, didn't, I didn't springboard like I was supposed to. Clearly. 4-0, playing against 4-0s is, is going to be the next. <laughs> it built his confidence for That's the Australian it. is what happened. So I will. something you mentioned earlier that has been happening, happening uh, I've been seeing a lot, is uh, players coming to the net. A lot. That's been that's more been than really strange, actually, in a good way. I love to see it. Uh, it's just weird that it's just now happening. Well, I'm gonna. Tr- I mean, you're younger than me, so I'm gonna try not to be the old guy. <laughs> but I think I think there there is some some in, in some sense that idea that oh, back in the old days we used to come to the net, right. you know, and, and so With our wooden rackets, right? For me, there is some of that, but also something else you mentioned is that the difference in styles, just seeing different things. I mean, you've got guys like Rafa that can pass you at any angle from any point on the court. Right. And then you, you got these guys that – And Murray, too. Right, and Murray, too, same way, right. And Djokovic, right. if he was still in. Right. Uh, yeah. He might be passing you on the highway now, <laughs> headed to the airport, because he's going somewhere else. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think seeing, seeing that difference in style um, at a high level. And, you know, Misha's brother – Zverev, he he was coming in to his peril, but kept coming in. And the commentators even said, "Hey, you got to give him credit for keeping right. on, keeping on." Yes, he was a horrible volleyer. Um, he did not <laughs> learn from his brother, uh, apparently. But but I mean, I just think it makes the matchups more interesting. Everybody raved about the Nadal Djokovic final from a few years ago that was five hours and fifty five minutes. And I mean, it was competitive and it was close, but I mean, it's the same point, you know, two hundred times in a row. And to me, that's just not as exciting as watching a certain volley or play an aggressive baseline or whatever the case may be. Right. Two different styles. Right. As a coach, you know, I want to sit here and, and, and help my players learn to play that same point over and over and do it better. Right. You know, play their part of the point better than their opponent plays their part of the point. But as a fan, I want to see that. No. You're right. I mean, it's cross-court forehands for 45 minutes right. in a row for one point is not my idea of excitement. You like to have a guy who's got a little less patience a little yeah. more aggressive yeah. and, and wants to come in and do some things. And my thinking is only one player can be the best at that style of play. And if you're not that player, you need to learn how to do something else. You know, that's probably a good indication of why maybe uh, Misha, who is the, I don't know, which one's younger? Alex is way younger. He's like 10 years younger. Actually. Okay, so well, maybe that's why he was, you know, developed the way he did because he's pr- most likely coming right. up behind his brother. So his brother develops sort of, his game style, and now baby brother's got to figure something out because right. he's always older, he's always yeah. bigger, he's always stronger, always faster. So he's probably always beating him as a little kid. Right. And he's like, wait a second, why can't I win? He doesn't, <laughs> doesn't factor in the age, uh, but he had to develop his game around beating his brother. It's really interesting. I, I like to see some kind of a Tennis Channel special on that. Yeah, I mean, I think you're going to hear a lot more about both of those now after this, especially if Misha goes even farther, which is unlikely, but you never know. No, you don't. I mean, it could be one of those things where he's got a complete letdown now. Um, I mean, Federer's certainly not up to the peak of of the, his game that he ever has been, but still, he's still amazing, and that's who Misha has in the next round. 
Songa, that's somebody I like to see. I like I like that guy as a player. I mean, I don't know him personally, but <laughs> he's kind of a unpredictable under, underachiever, yeah. I'd have to say. But I agree. I like watching him play. But he's French, of course. He, he's a maniac. <laughs> Every I'm telling you, all of them. Monfils, he's another one. Monfils is great to watch. Yeah, uh, he can he can beat anyone, and he could lose to me. Right. <laughs> like on any, I mean, it's he's French. What are you gonna do? But it's, it would, yeah, to see those guys in, late in the tournament is more exciting because then you have the unpredictability that we were talking about and um, seeing those guys and they, if they play their A game, they can beat anybody. Well, the the thing that that the thing that is most disappointing is that watching those players that you get so excited for these matches. And then they get into those later rounds, the quarters or the semis, and then they just go. They lose a tight first set, six four or seven five, and then they just go away. Right. And I, you know, I obviously I don't play to their level, so I don't know exactly what they're experiencing or what they're dealing with. But it seems like they would appreciate where they are more because they certainly haven't been there a lot. Right. You know, I mean, they're in the upper echelon, but they're not in the elite elite. Um, and then they and they just go away, and it just drives you insane. What's well, two things? Maybe is it a product of what you were saying about the three out of five sets? Have they just worn themselves out the first week, and they've got nothing left, or is it they've achieved what they thought they would never achieve, and then they've kind of just relaxed and okay, I got what I thought I wouldn't get, and now sure. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to win another match, but I've made it to the quarters for the first time right. ever. The enemy of greatness is good enough. Yeah, I yeah. Mean, so that's it. By the way, hold on. Let, let that breathe. <laughs> Let that breathe out there. Sink that in. That's a gem. That is a gem. All right. I didn't make it up, but it's a gem. <laughs> you you kind of settle in and, yeah. oh, yeah, this is great. I'm doing well. I'm wealthy. I'm, you know, famous and, you know, the toast of the town in Paris or wherever I'm from. And, yeah, so. Well, and that's what I think is happening to Djokovic, honestly. I think he's got his career slam, and now he's seems to be, you know, resting on his laurels and not really trying to well, catch I, Federer. Yeah, maybe. I, I don't know. I, I disagree with that a little bit, and, and and this is the reason why, because he was – it's hard to be perfect, and anything less than perfect is not perfect. You know right. what I mean? Anything, like right. anything. The slightest little, you know, change in, in being perfect is not perfect. And so, uh, you know, I, he, he – I don't think he just faded. I think it's hard, extremely hard to maintain that level – you know, at all times um, for a long period. That's why, again, what apparently we do both agree on, and, and that's Pete Sampras, to be number one in the world six years in a row to finish one in the world is absolutely amazing. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, and to win so many big tournaments. Back, um, back when tennis was way deeper. <laughs> right. No, no offense, Roger. You're right. Not the same four players every tournament. You had different players you had to beat in every tournament. Yeah, Hall of Famers all the way throughout every draw, so – all right, so your first podcast, what do you think? It was wonderful. Can't you weren't. You were awful. But, I mean, listen, <laughs> the fans will let you know about that. <laughs> but uh, but good experience. You had fun talking about great. tennis? Yes, thank you for well, having listen, me. I know you're a huge tennis fan. I know you love the sport. I know you play it, teach it, watch it, um, and, and all that kind of stuff. And so that that's – as you've listened to some of the podcasts, as you kind of figured out this thing existed, that's what it's about is that – Tennis Revolution podcast is to give a voice to a sport that really doesn't have a huge voice in this country. Certainly not compared to football, basketball, baseball, hockey, right. even soccer these days is is surpassing tennis. Um, and hey, soccer's cool, man. I like soccer. <laughs> I like watching soccer, but you know, I'm not gonna go that far. But. Yeah, I know. 
uh, sacrilege to say that uh, <laughs> on a tennis podcast. But uh, but no, I mean, it's the most popular sport in the world for a reason. Right. But guess what? What this country may not realize is tennis is the second most popular sport in the world. And uh, I hate, I feel like a Euro saying that, like I'm admonishing Americans trying to say that. I don't but, think anybody would guess that here, which is what we're working on. Yeah, no, right. Yeah, no question. So, but uh, yeah, so that, but that's the purpose of the podcast. And, uh, and hopefully we're at, above 500 or five i think it said 519 downloads per episode so we're climbing up the ranks so trying to get to that magical 5000 then we can really do some damage and cause some trouble um but uh i want to thank everybody for downloading make sure you uh visit our website at tennisrevolutionpodcast.com you find links for your uh iphone and your android to download uh current episodes or to get links to where you can find all the other episodes they are free of course um because uh, we're saints apparently here um and we only have 500 of them so who cares uh and then uh for sure fill out uh there's a submission form on there if you have any comments or questions uh tell me how good or awful Corey was today uh until next time uh, a big thank you for listening from Corey and myself and uh we'll see you next tuesday see you guys